0: Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series that we are continuing on Reasons to Believe. We are moving right along in part six, which is entitled Fulfilled Prophecy. And once again, I'll announce that for those that are just joining us, all of these studies are available both in written notes and also recorded audio messages at our New Life Ministries website. That is new-life-ministries.org and you can follow the prompts there to find all of the various messages. Uh, I want to jump right in tonight because we've come to what I think is the most powerful part, perhaps, of this whole study. And this section that we're doing now on fulfilled prophecy we've now come to what I think is the most stunning and amazing part of it all. And I led into this at the end of last week that we're looking at Messianic Prophecy, and that means prophecy as it refers to Jesus the Messiah. And this last section that we wanna do on Messianic Prophecy has to do with a number of specific, very detailed predictions about how the Messiah would suffer and ultimately die. And there are at least 27 different prophecies relating to the way in which the Messiah would be betrayed, he would suffer, and ultimately He would die specifically by crucifixion. And all of those different prophecies span a period of more than 500 years in which they were originally given. Yet, we're going to see that all 27 of those prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus in one 24-hour period. I mean, what are the chances of that being an accident? What are the chances that someone who wanted to be a messiah but really wasn't could somehow defraud the world by fulfilling all 27 of those predictions in one 24-hour period? It's just, it's beyond improbable. It's as close as you can get to impossible as you can, that this is an accident. And this is why I've saved this section for last, because this is sort of the uh, icing on the cake. It's actually the cake itself, but this proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, by many infallible proofs, After he was risen from the dead, he showed the disciples that he was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I'm just going to run through this list very quickly, and then we're going to go back and look at each one in a little bit more detail. But fasten your seatbelts because we're going to take quite a bit in here in the next hour or so. All right, you ready? Here goes the list of 27 different predictions that were made concerning the Messiah, and all of these were fulfilled by Jesus in one 24-hour period. Number one, it was predicted that he would be betrayed by a close friend. Number two, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Number three, that that money would be thrown into the temple and used to purchase the potter's field. Number four, he would be forsaken by his own disciples. Number five, he would be accused by false witnesses. Number six, he would be dumb or silent before his accusers. Number seven, he would be wounded, bruised, and flogged. Number eight, he would be smitten and spit upon. Number nine, he would be mocked and insulted. Number 10, his hands and his feet would be pierced. Number 11, he would be crucified together with thieves. Number 12, he would intercede for transgressors. Number 13, he would be despised and rejected by his own people. Number 14, he would be hated without a cause. Number 15, his friends would stand afar off. Number 16, the people would shake their heads as they viewed his suffering. Number 17, he would be stared upon by the people. Number 18, his garments would be parted and lots would be cast for those garments. Number 19, he would suffer thirst. Number 20, they would offer him gall and vinegar to drink. Number 21, he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number 22, he would commit his spirit to God. Number 23, none of his bones would be broken. Number 24, his heart would be poured out like water. Number 25, his side would be pierced. Number 26, darkness would cover the land during daytime hours. And finally, number 27, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Quite a list of specific, detailed predictions to all be fulfilled by one man in one 24-hour period. But that is exactly what Jesus did, and all of this is recorded in the four Gospels, as it relates to these various predictions from the Old Testament, which, as I mentioned, were given over a period of 500 years, yet all fulfilled in one single day. Okay, let's go back to number one. It was predicted that Messiah would be betrayed by his close friend. And even more detail is given beyond that, In Psalm 41, verse 9, Psalm 41 and verse 9, it says, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The fulfillment of this is clearly seen in John's Gospel, John chapter 13. And I'm going to read from verse 18 to 26. Jesus is speaking here, and he says the following. I am not referring to all of you, and in context he's told them that one of them is going to betray him. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, and listen to this carefully. We've seen this many times now but this is to fulfill the scripture. Excuse me. And he quotes just what we read. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Continuing from verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And that, of course, is John the Apostle. Verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread. Notice how specific the fulfillment of this prophecy is. Even his close friend with whom he shared bread, it was written in Psalm 41, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. So, betrayed by a close friend, one whom he trusted One with whom he literally shared his bread. Fulfilled by Jesus on that last night before going to the cross. Prophecy number two. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. This is found in Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12. I told them... If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Coming to the New Testament, Matthew confirms that this prophecy was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Matthew 26 and verses 14 to 15. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Of course, referring to Jesus. So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. Not 40, not 29, 30, just as Zechariah had prophesied, Hundreds of years earlier. Prophecy number three goes even a step further and predicts that that money would be thrown into the temple and used to purchase the potter's field. In the very next verse of Zechariah, Zechariah eleven thirteen, And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Matthew, again in his gospel, shows the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 27. Starting with verse 3, we'll read down to verse 10. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now there is one difficulty here which you probably picked up in verse 9. Matthew says, Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And then he quotes, They took the silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Uh, There's no record of this in Jeremiah, and it's not an exact quote even of the verse that we just read from Zechariah, whether or not this is a verse that was lost over the years in the copying of the different versions of Jeremiah's prophecy. Uh, No one seems to know for sure. In any event, the prophecy is definitely recorded in Zechariah, and Matthew is very clearly showing that Jesus Fulfilled the prophecy of being sold for 30 silver coins and then those 30 silver coins ultimately being used to buy the potter's field. So again, Jesus fulfilled in exact detail each one of these prophecies concerning his betrayal, his being sold for money to the priests, and then that money being returned and thrown onto the floor of the temple. On to prophecy number four. This is also found in Zechariah, and Matthew uh, quotes this as being fulfilled by Jesus. And that is that Jesus, the Messiah, would be forsaken by his own disciples. And in Zechariah 13, verse 7, we read the following. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered is what was predicted by Zechariah. Coming to Matthew, chapter 26, we'll read verse 31 and then verses 55 to 56. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, and he quotes, the prophecy that we just read, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So he very clearly connects Zechariah's prophecy both to himself and to his disciples, that he being the shepherd was about to be smitten, stricken, and the sheep, in this case being his disciples, would all fall away because of that. Now going further down to verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. And this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled." Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Prophecy number five. The Messiah would be accused by false witnesses. He would be falsely charged, falsely accused. We'll look at two different prophecies relating to this from the Old Testament both found in the Psalms. Psalm 35, verse 11. It says, Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. And then Psalm 27, verse 12. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out Violence. In the New Testament, again in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, we read about this in verses 59 and 60. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came to forward. Many false witnesses rise up against me. It was predicted and indeed many false witnesses came forward with trumped up charges against Jesus. Prophecy number six, that when he faced these false accusations, he would be silent. He would not open his mouth. He would not give any defense on his behalf. This was predicted by Isaiah the prophet in that famous messianic chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. And we turn to verse 7, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You know, most animals, when they are attacked, or especially when they're being killed or slaughtered or put to death, they squeal, they howl, they make all kinds of noises, but God so created the sheep that even when they're being slaughtered, they do not make any sound. And I had the rather unpleasant experience once of actually witnessing the slaughter of a little lamb. They captured this lamb, slit its throat, and literally put it to death. I did not hear any sound from the lamb throughout the whole event from the time that it was roped and pulled down to the time that the knife was slitting through his throat. Not a sound was heard from that lamb. How amazing that God, out of all the animals, he compares Jesus to a lamb and to a sheep. When he's being put to death, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. We have a number of references in the New Testament to this. And this in itself is a very amazing thing because this is not human We humans, we squeal and scream and holler and defend ourselves and justify ourselves and we throw a hissy fit, especially when somebody's trying to falsely accuse us. But this was the character of Jesus that set him apart from a normal human being. And this is noted by several of the New Testament writers, again, we begin with Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, from verse 12 to 14. It says, When Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply not even do a single charge to the great amazement of the governor later on peter comments on this in his epistle in 1 peter chapter 2 verses 20 i'm sorry verses 22 and 23 it says he jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And in Acts chapter 8, you'll remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who was riding along in his chariot and he's actually reading Isaiah 53 at the very moment he meets up with Philip and we pick the story up here in Acts 8 verse 32 the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture and it's the one we just quoted from Isaiah 53:7 he was led like a sheep to the slaughter And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip, without any hesitation, explains the passage to the eunuch and adds, this is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, according to Philip, and of course, this is all recorded by the physician Luke in the book of Acts, they both concur, Isaiah 53 was fulfilled by none other than Jesus of Nazareth. You know, years ago when we were in Israel evangelizing, we had a nice tract it was actually in Hebrew, and one side was Hebrew and the other side was English, and it was Isaiah fifty three, the entire chapter. And the title of the track was this very question that the Ethiopian eunuch posed to Philip. Who is the prophet talking about? And we would distribute. That portion of scripture from Isaiah 53 and use that to then show the people that Jesus fulfilled every detail of Isaiah's prophecy in that chapter. Okay, on to point number seven. The Messiah, as also indicated here in Isaiah 53, he would be wounded, bruised, and flogged. Very specific details are given concerning his punishment and of course all of the different things that would ultimately lead to his death. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So he would be wounded, bruised, chastised, and the stripes, of course, are referring to the marks, the wounds on his back left by the flogging. And Matthew Again, is our authority on this, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 26. Then he, in context, it's talking about Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The wounds... The bruising that resulted from his flogging, um, much more detail is given in other places, but suffice it to say, Jesus more than fulfilled everything that Isaiah predicted about his flogging and his wounding at the hands of the Roman soldiers. Point number eight In addition to all that, the Messiah would be smitten and spit upon. In other words, he would be beaten, and also they would spit upon him. This is found also in Isaiah, a little bit earlier, in Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. You know, one of the most despicable uh, things that one human can do to another is to spit on them. And that's exactly what Isaiah said they would do to this Messiah. And Matthew tells us with great detail this was all fulfilled in that last day of Jesus' life here on earth. Matthew 26, verse 30 and verse 67. It says they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Verse 67, Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. How amazing. Predicted that he would be beaten, spat upon, and treated in the most inhumane way, Matthew tells us this was all done to Jesus the Christ, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the word of God made flesh. They took him, they spit on him, they struck him on the head and they beat him in his face with their fists And they slapped him. Luke adds to this in Luke 22, verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. So a whole lot of things had to happen before Messiah was literally nailed to the cross and crucified. All of these details had to be fulfilled. Falsely accused, wounded, bruised, whipped, beaten, and spit upon. And point number nine, this Messiah would be mocked and insulted. We already saw a little bit of that in the verse we just read, but now let's go back to the Old Testament And see where this was predicted. Psalm 22, and whenever you hear Psalm 22, you immediately think Messianic Psalm. This is a psalm we'll be referring to uh, a number of times. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is how this psalm begins. And the whole psalm is actually a prophecy of the various events that took place on this final day of Jesus' life. Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. In Matthew chapter 27, we'll read starting at verse 31 and jump down and look at different portions of this through verse 44 Matthew twenty-seven thirty-one. after they had mocked him they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him then they led him away to crucify him jumping down to verse 39 those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So here you have the people mocking him, the soldiers insulting him, even the chief priests, the teachers, the elders, The religious elite, they're mocking him. All of the people standing around the cross are mocking and ridiculing him. And as if that isn't enough, even the robbers on either side of him who are being crucified, even they are heaping insults on Jesus, the Messiah. Prophecy number 10, very specifically, it was predicted that both his hands and his feet would be pierced, indicating, of course, his death would not be a normal death, but it would be one of extreme torture and pain by crucifixion. Psalm 22 again, our messianic psalm, and verse 16 Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Luke chapter 23 verses 32 and 33 tells us the following, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. We learn more details later on in Luke, but I want to first turn to John chapter 20 and verses 24 to 25. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This, of course, is after his resurrection. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. This specifically mentions the nail marks in Jesus' hands. And now going back to Luke, chapter 24, verses 39 and 40. This again is after Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's talking to the disciples. Verse 39, he says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Hands and feet, pierced with nails, predicted hundreds of years ahead of time by the psalmist David, fulfilled exactly in his crucifixion on the cross. Another specific prediction about his crucifixion was that he would not be alone. He would have company. And Isaiah tells us about this again in Isaiah 53. This time we're looking at verse 12, Isaiah 53, 12. I would strongly recommend when you get a chance, read through Isaiah 53 at one sitting. It's an amazing piece of scripture but we'll read just verse 12 now therefore i will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors key point here He was numbered with the transgressors. And this is brought out very clearly in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 15, verses 27 and 28. They crucified two robbers with Jesus. One on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and quoting from where we just read in Isaiah fifty three twelve, he was counted with the lawless ones, or with the transgressors. Separate from that, but related to it, there's a separate prediction found also there in Isaiah 53, 12, that he would intercede for the transgressors. As he's suffering and dying by crucifixion, not only would he be numbered with transgressors, he would make intercession for them. Isaiah 53, 12 again, he was numbered with the transgressor, I'm sorry, he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. In Luke 23, verses 33 to 34, we read When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Very clearly, Interceding for the transgressors in fulfillment of Isaiah, chapter 53. Prophecy number 13. Messiah would be despised and rejected by his own people. What an amazing thing, because the Jewish people, they were waiting for hundreds of years for this messiah to come and the pharisees the scribes the teachers the experts in the law they all knew the various prophecies and they knew which ones were messianic in nature nevertheless when he finally comes they despise him and reject him rather than welcoming him as the chosen one the promised Messiah. But again, this was all prophesied. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And also... In a messianic psalm that we've referred to already, Psalm 69, verse 8. It says, I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. John, I think, captures all of this best in the opening chapter of his gospel. John chapter 1 And we all know the verse as well. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then moving down to verse 10. John 1 verse 10. He, that's Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize receive him. I am a stranger to my brothers, despised and rejected by men. And literally, we find further along in John chapter 7 that Jesus' own brothers, the the brothers of uh, the same mother, Mary, literally they would be his half-brothers. Nevertheless, they're referred to as his brothers Note what we read in John 7 about his own brothers. John 7 from verse 3 to 5. Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. They're, of course, being sarcastic. They're mocking him. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And Matthew chapter 21, we've referred to this earlier in this study, but it's fitting to read it again. Matthew 21 verse 42. Jesus said to them, and of course this is all the religious elite of his day, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. So very clearly, it was predicted in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. The rejected stone. Prophecy number 14 Going even a step further, he would be hated for no reason. He would be hated without a cause. This we find in the same Messianic Psalm, uh, Psalm 69 and verse 4. It says, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. So very clearly predicted that he would be hated for no reason. People would just hate him without a cause. And this is mentioned in John chapter 15, verses 23 to 25. John 15 23 to 25. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen those miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, and he quotes, they hated me without reason. Prophecy number 15. His friends would stand afar off. This is somewhat similar to a few of the others. Of course, he would be despised, rejected. His disciples would forsake him. But this is mentioned specifically in the gospel several times as to how it was fulfilled in Jesus on this last day of his life. Psalm 38, verse 11, and I'm reading here from the New King James Version. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. And in Luke chapter 23, verses 48 and 49, we read, And the whole crowd who came together to that site, the site, of course, is his crucifixion, seeing what had been done, they beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Notice that. Stood at a distance watching these things. And even in Luke 22 verse 54 we read about Peter. Having arrested Jesus they led him and brought him into the high priest's house but Peter followed at a distance. And Mark chapter 14, verse 50 indicates, then they all forsook him and fled. So his friends did not stand with him. They stood afar off. All of his acquaintances stood at a distance watching his crucifixion. Another specific detail that's given in Psalm 22 is that as he's undergoing this terrible suffering on the cross, not only would they be mocking him and insulting him, but specifically they would be shaking their heads. Reading again Psalm 22 verse 7, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And also in Psalm 109, verse 25 I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Matthew ties all this together with Jesus' crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 39 Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads almost the exact words from Psalm 22 verse 7 They hurled insults shaking their heads As he suffering another detail is given in Psalm 22 our messianic psalm, that they would simply stand and stare at him as he was suffering and dying. Psalm 22, verse 17, I can count all my bones, people stare and gloat over me. Luke points this out in his gospel. Luke 23 And verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. You know, this scripture always pierces me when I read it. The people stood watching. This is the creator of the universe become human flesh so that he can be the sacrificial lamb to take their punishment, to die in our place, to allow all of our sins and all of our sicknesses and all of our curses to come upon him. And simply it states, the people stood watching. Little did they know they were fulfilling Psalm 22. The people stare at me. And one more, and I'm going to stop here because this is more than we can even cover in one Bible study. But remember, Jesus fulfilled all 27 of these in one single day. But we're going to stop here at point number 18 This is a very important one, and I'm sure you remember this one. It also comes from Psalm 22, specifically stating that his garments would be parted and they would cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 22 and verse 18. They divide my garments among them, And they cast lots for my clothing. John chapter 19 and verses 23 to 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them. They cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. No doubt these Roman soldiers didn't have a clue That what they were doing was fulfilling to a T prophecy that had been given hundreds of years earlier by the psalmist David. The scripture had to be fulfilled, and unbeknownst to them, every little detail that they were participating in was so that the scripture might be fulfilled. His garment was divided, and they cast lots for that clothing. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. We're going to stop there and pick it right up at point number 19, and go all the way through to the end of this list of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in that final day that led to his death and burial. And amazingly, with exacting detail, every part of the story was scripted by God so that after it all came to pass, we would know for a certainty that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal word. The scripture cannot be broken. And God, when you make a prediction, when you inspire a prophet to write down a prediction of yours, regardless of how crazy, or impossible it may seem, Lord, you watch over your word to perform it. Every single detail concerning the suffering, the crucifixion, and the ultimate death of your son, Jesus Christ, was all predicted hundreds of years ahead of time and all fulfilled with perfect accuracy, in one single day. God, we are beyond amazed at the truthfulness, the faithfulness of your word. The scripture indeed cannot be broken. Heaven and earth will pass away before even one jot or tittle of your word can be altered or changed. God, we thank you and we praise you bless each and every one listening tonight bless those who may be listening in the future to recordings of this message or studying the notes god i pray the holy spirit would implant deep within their hearts that jesus is the christ the son of the living god the promised one the chosen one the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke who would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him, and by his stripes we would be healed. God, we thank you for so great a salvation. Lord, let all who listen to this experience your great salvation in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.